0: Welcome. This is the weekly Sunday sermon from Redeemer Bible Church in Temecula, California. You can find us at RedeemerSoCal.org. This week's message by Pastor Jason Swanson, The Gospel of John that you may believe, a love without limit. The original date of this message was the 29th of October, 2023. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. And if you don't have a Bible and need one, there's a little pocket in front of you. Please grab that one. And if you don't have one at home, please take that as a, as a gift. We would love for you to have God's Word. John chapter 13. What a fitting way to start our time off. Singing praise to one another and to the Lord thanking Him for all that he's done, for all that Jesus means to us, opening the word, looking at the word, Isaiah chapter 6, and seeing that, even as we saw last week, that is a depiction of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, we are going to see the most amazing thing, that the Son of God, who created all things, including you and I, not only took on human form and flesh, but
1: bends his knees and washes the
0: disciples' feet. I don't want to waste any time. I want to get right into the Word of God that the Lord might open our eyes to, to, see, to see something amazing, to see a, a love without limits. Because that is a true depiction of who the Lord Jesus Christ is how Jesus Christ lived, how Jesus Christ continues to reign and live today. And this is so encouraging and also so challenging. Beginning in verse 1, chapter 13, we're going to go through verse 20 this morning. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the father having loved his own who were in the world he loved them to the end during supper the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot the son of Simon to betray him Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God got up from supper and laid aside his garments and Taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted his heel against me. From now on, I am telling you, before it comes to pass so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am He. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who receives whomever I send receives Me. And he who receives Me receives Him who sent Me. Let's pray for the preaching of God's Word. Heavenly Father, we we need You desperately. We don't want these to just be words on a page. We want you to speak to us. We want you to teach us. We want you to give us a greater understanding of the depth of your son's love for us. The mission that we have been sent on for all of us that know you. We want to understand what humility looks like by seeing it in your son. So keep the distractions down this morning and allow us to drink deeply from your word. It's in the matchless, the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior that we pray. Amen. It's so encouraging to come back to John chapter 13. I've preached this passage before here from from this podium. I had an entirely different outline. It's not because God's word has changed. It's because God's word is so rich and deep that you can come back to it. And still hold on to the meaning and then apply it in a different sort of way emphasize something that I hadn't emphasized before. And that is this, the love of Jesus. I don't want any of us to miss what is presented to us here. And if we just fly through and, and we think that we understand this passage, we might miss it. It is so good to start from the beginning of John and come up to chapter 13 and recognize that the first 12 chapters are behind us now. Those first 12 chapters that are often called the book of signs. Why? Because they depict Jesus as the son of God, as as the son of man, as the coming one, as the Messiah, as the Christ, as God incarnate. And he proves this through these seven signs. And and we've seen them and, and we know that as Jesus proclaims truth over and over again, he is calling people to a saving knowledge of himself. But it's not just the nation of Israel that he's concerned with. No, his heart extends much further. That's that's why we see him go to Samaria. That's why we saw in chapter 12 that the Greeks come to him. They want to see Jesus and Jesus
1: speaks truth to them.
0: But now there is a major transition. It's as if an entire book closes. And Jesus, being highlighted as the Savior of the world, is now seen as your Savior. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you have not, then the words spoken about Judas are yours. You see, this is intimate. This is not a great, big, large group. This is by God's providence and design and the way that the inspiration of, of Scripture has been given to us through the pen of John. This is a slow down narrative so that everything that happens in really this 24-hour period where Jesus is going to go from, from having the supper with his disciples and washing their feet to then speaking about the Holy Spirit, then giving a prayer that, that is for not just them, but for all of us, for all that would believe, to then dying on a cross. 13 to 17 is is all confined to this particular setting, this particular night with these 12 disciples that Jesus is just going to pour as much as he possibly can into them. And as we come to this text this morning and these verses, I don't want any of us to see ourselves as not in here. And this is so sweet. This is a depiction of, of a love without limit. This is a depiction of, of a love that if any of us were there that day, this would have been so difficult for us to swallow. Most likely, we'd be like Peter. If we weren't so bold enough to say it out loud, we would be thinking what Peter was thinking. What are you doing? You don't do this, you're in charge. Yet he does. So I believe the reason why this whole narrative slows way down and gives us this, this wonderful glimpse into the life and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ is so that we could savor every moment. So, so that we could catch every word. So we could catch every action. We could catch every minute of what happens in the life of Jesus and his disciples up to the point when he is going to be taken to the cross. Five vivid lessons Jesus doesn't want us to miss in these verses. And first, we will see Jesus serves like no other. And I would say Jesus serves, or sorry, Jesus loves like no other. And I would say it's not just Jesus loves like no other, as in some sort of vague understanding of who it is that his object of his love is. No, Jesus loves me like no other. Jesus loves you like no other. Second, we are going to see Jesus serves like no other. No, Jesus serves me like no other. And if you know him as Savior, Jesus serves you like no other. Third, Jesus washes like no other. No, Jesus washes you like no other. Jesus washes me like no other. Fourth, Jesus humbles himself like no other. Jesus humbles himself like no other. And finally, Jesus sends out like no other. Jesus sends me out like no other. Jesus sends you out like no other. Jesus sends us this body of Redeemer Bible Church. He sends us out like no other in his power and his strength and sovereign care for us. So let's begin in John chapter 13, verse 1 with this. Jesus loves like no other. Notice what we're told. We're told this is the feast of the Passover. This time, this era, this location, eating with someone was a big deal. You know, we have fast food, and I think so much has been lost. Of the significance of sharing a meal with one another. The intimacy that happens. Come to Papua New Guinea and you would see some of this. Sharing a meal, except for the beginning days, they wouldn't even look at us because all of their animistic beliefs, that they thought that that would do something to the spirits. But what, what is being communicated here is that they are gathering together a very exclusive small group with Jesus Christ. And it's just not any meal. Notice what meal this is. This is the feast of the Passover. And for Jesus and and, and his band of men here, his, his disciples, they would have been celebrating this on Thursday because they're not from the south. They're not from Judea. They're not from Jerusalem. They're from Galilee. They're from the north. And so the way that they even measured their their days was a little bit different. And so they would meet and would have met on this Thursday. This is amazing because this allows them to celebrate the Passover. And then it allows those who yet hadn't celebrated the Passover, which would be all the Jewish leaders, to crucify Jesus on the very day that they were celebrating the Passover. And so in some case, you could look at it as both and. Jesus celebrated the Passover, and then he was the Passover lamb. And so they gather for this special meal, pointing to him. But they didn't know this. There's many things they didn't know. Notice how many times Judas is mentioned in these verses. They didn't know that Judas was going to betray Jesus. Oh, they would clue in very shortly because within 24 hours, he would come back. First, he'd leave them, and then he'd come back with soldiers. And then the lights would go on and they'd figure it out. And so the timing is significant. Where we are in John is significant. At this point, Jesus is going to pour everything that he has into his disciples to teach them. So they gather for feast of the passover and notice what jesus's mindset is like jesus knowing that this hour had come his hour had come to what to depart this world and to go back to the father if there's any time where you would think it would be difficult and to only be kind of consuming yourself with going back to heaven and and maybe taking it easy right on serving on teaching on pouring himself into his disciples, it would be now. He's given himself to them all this time, but but instead of taking the easy way out, he does the unthinkable. Recognizing, one, that he's leaving this world soon, we see this, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. We, we see this depiction, notice this isn't Jesus speaking. This is John speaking. This is John looking back after all this had happened as he writes his gospel through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And as he looks back, John now gets it. He didn't get it to this extent before for sure. I don't think any of them really got it. Oh, but you can be certain that he gets it now that he understands the magnitude of what happened. Do you understand the magnitude? Do you understand what it means if I were to ask you, how much does Jesus love you? How much? Oh, he loves me enough to go to the cross. Yes, more. He he loves you. He loves me enough to humiliate himself even before the cross and to take on the the work of a servant when he is the creator of all recognizing that his time has come that he's ready to depart and then we're told this that having loved his own who are in the world that points back that lets us know that Jesus loved them every step of the way there was nothing no time nowhere where Jesus' love for the twelve wasn't right there with them as they walked with Jesus. Going all the way back to John chapter 1, all the way up to this point. And then His love for them now is still present, but notice where it goes. It goes to the future. In this beautiful phrase, He loved them to the end. How much does Jesus love you? Loves you to the end. In in Greek, this is telos. It, it, It means literally to the uttermost. It has an aspect of completion. He loves you to completion. He loves you to the very end. What does this mean? This means that Jesus will never
1: let you go. This means once saved, always saved. Think about who he
0: is about to wash the feet of. A group of men who abandon him. One in particular follows him and then denies him. And yet we're going to see that Jesus washes all of their feet, including Judas. There is so much about this that we should not grasp. That's why I have been praying all week long. Oh man, teach me this. I want to fully grasp what is happening here. That I might understand you more, Jesus. So that I might be like you more. In my home, in in this church, everywhere that I go. So what do we see we see that the love of Jesus is precious. It's particular. It's distinct. And as much as Jesus loves the whole world, and that is true, and we've seen that throughout the Gospel of John, all those that he's created from the beginning to now loves them all. That is not the love that is being represented here. There is a distinct love, a particular love, if you want to call it a special love that's for who? For his own. That's who he's keying in on. He doesn't include Judas. We'll see that several times. No, I'm not talking about Judas. I'm not sending him out. I'm washing his feet, but he's not clean. The reality is that there are two groups of people in this world. There are those that are His, and there are those that are not His. Which one are you? Can you say this morning, unequivocally, without a shadow of a doubt, that yes, Jesus Christ is your Savior, He is your Shepherd, that He is calling you home, and that when this life ends, you will be with Him. Or better yet, He'll grab you and you'll be His. Nothing will change that. No matter what you do.
1: But you're going to follow him. Why? Because he sends us on a mission. You see, his love for his own is greater. I know this is a poor example, but we know.
0: You love your own kids more than your neighbors. You're going to run out and risk your life for a car that's going to take that child down or your child down? I'd love to say that I'd do this for my neighbor's children as well. But I'd bleed a, a slow and painful death for my kids or for my wife. Why? Because they're my own. They're my flesh and blood. That, that is what Jesus is talking about. That is who Jesus is talking about. He's, he's narrowing in his focus. And now he's spending time with just his own, who were notice in the world. He's leaving the world, but he's, but he's pointing us all to the fact that, you know where he leaves us? He leaves us in this world. And yet there's so much joy in that because we know that he goes before us. And yet at times I get it. I don't want to die before my wife. I I want to be the last one. I don't don't want my wife to be left alone. And yet, what does Jesus do? He actually uses this as an opportunity to encourage, yes, I am leaving you, and then we're going to get to chapter 14, and he's going to say, hey, I'm sending you a helper that will make it so much better for you. And what encouragement to know that Jesus goes before us in all things. And he sends them out, leaving them in the world. And all of this is wrapped up in what? In the fact that Jesus loves like no other. And in that sense, that's his love demonstrated to us. Why? Because he wants to use us to reach others. And because he wants to continue the work that he began in us until he completes us. Making us more and more like him. This love of his own, it's, it's not something new. We've seen it in the Gospel of John already. I could take us back to John chapter 10, right? Where Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And who knows my voice? Only my sheep. And I call them and they come. But it's not just Jesus that, that is saying in the Scriptures that is responsible for making us his own. Do you, do you recognize that you didn't make yourself his? He made you His. If you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 6.44 that we've gone back to several times over the last several weeks. What, what does that give us a depiction of? It gives us a depiction of the Father. Jesus says, man, none of you would come to me unless the Father does what? Draws you to me. And I'll be with you to the end and raise you in the end. This is so, so encouraging as we see that Jesus loves like no other. And notice how long he's going to love us. Notice what he says to them or what John says about him loving them. And John is saying this after, no doubt, he's seen some that, known some that were going to die. He loved them to the end. What is the end? What is this completion? Commentators are all over the place on what it exactly means. I, I believe it means everything when it talks about the end. That there is a reality that it, that it meant the end of Jesus' life. That He was going to love them even while He was on the cross. and suffering and pain, He's loving them. He's loving them as He comes back. He's loving them still ever more, even when He's ascended on high. He he loves us now in in this church age. He will continue to love until when? Until we get to the millennium. Till the end of the millennium, when all things are made new, Jesus will continue to love. And then will it ever stop? It it reminds me of just what Paul writes. Turn there with me, Romans chapter 8. What can separate us from the love of God? When will Jesus stop loving you if you are his? When will he stop loving me? The the answer to that question is no, never. Romans chapter 8 verse 35, look at this. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers... Heights, nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of god which is in christ jesus our lord so even though he's left us in this world and he left them in the world that was full of temptation full of misery full of suffering that doesn't mean that he will not be with them in so many ways, he's pointing to the Holy Spirit that we now in, enjoy as a guarantee of what will be ours, what we've been sealed with, which is the power for us to live godly lives. The question for us all this morning is this Do you know of Christ's love for you? Have you received this love of Christ? This love that endures to the end is the only true saving love. Think about comparing the love of Jesus with comparing someone else, someone that you love, someone that has loved you. Say your parents. Say your children. Is that an equal comparison? No, Jesus' love is far greater. Why? Because Jesus' love How much Jesus loves us speaks to the fact that he can save our very souls. There is no one who loves like Jesus. He loves like no other. Next we see that he serves like no other. I want to spend our time looking at these verses only considering the service that he did. We will look at the humility which he gets into as he teaches, but I want to start off saying, notice before he teaches them and says, Oh, the reason why I'm what I'm about to do is because I want you to understand what humility looks like. No, first he serves. I think for so many of us, our talk is cheap, and our talk has no weight behind it. Why? Because we don't serve. We don't serve like Jesus. And that's what we see. Notice what Jesus does and when he does it. He doesn't know in exactly that Judas has already sealed the deal. Judas has already got the money. Jesus already, or Judas has already turned Jesus over, so to speak. Now it's just a matter of time. Jesus knows all of that, and yet he still washes his feet he still does the unthinkable giving us this vivid picture and this contrast of jesus and judas judas is all about what he's all about money he's all about not others he's all about himself even right here right now on this particular night where he's already taken all of the money He's still only thinking about self. When's the best time? When can I do this?
1: And Jesus is the
0: complete contrast. He's all about others. And notice what he does. This again would have been so shameful, humiliating in this custom. You see, we have to recognize first that this was a a rented room. There's no servants there, but every room that existed in this time, and perhaps today would be the same, has some things in it that as you walk in, you would see. You would see a towel. You would see a pot of water, and and you would see a, a bowl. Why? Because everybody washes their feet as they come into a room. So each one of these disciples, as they walked into this room, what did they see? They saw the water. They saw the towel. They saw the pot. They knew what needed to happen. But do you know what? None of them stepped forward. None of them said, you know what? I'll serve you. Let me go ahead and wash all of your feet. Why? Well, because that isn't what a Jewish man does. If there was no servant, ladies, I'm sorry, you would be next in line. The ladies would be the one that, oh, and and, and if it wasn't ladies, well, then it would be, okay, the kids but not the men. No good Jewish man would wash another Jewish man's feet. And yet that's exactly what our Lord and Savior does. And as he removes this outer garment, he, he exposes himself, showing his arms, showing his legs, most most likely his chest. It's no wonder, honestly, that Peter says what he says. It's no wonder that Peter pushes back because this is so odd. That This is beyond culture. This is beyond the norm. No, this is not what you do. What are you doing? And yet we know from Luke
1: 22, I believe,
0: You know this story. Do you know what the disciples are doing just before this? They're having an argument. And they're having an argument over who is the greatest. Could it be that that's what precipitates, that's the launch pad that Jesus is is now using in order to teach them about what humility looks like? Let me show you what the greater one looks like. It is he who doesn't think of himself as the greater one. It is the one who serves everyone else. So let me serve you. And it just had to shake all of them up to notice Jesus doing this. As Jesus serves like no other. Would you have washed
1: Judas's feet? Knowing what Judas was going to do,
0: I've heard of family members, brothers and sisters, moms and their children, dads, not talking to each other for years. Perhaps you know of that. Perhaps that's part of your family's history, story. Why? Because they said something that was offensive or they did something that was offensive rather than forgiving, rather than moving on and letting that go, they use it as a wedge. It would have been so easy, don't you think, for Jesus to wait to say what he's going to say to Judas? Hey, go now. He could have done that before. Why doesn't he? Because he's trying to teach all of them. Hey, you serve no matter who you're serving. No matter how your wife responds to you, no matter what your husband does to you, you serve. Okay, I'm not saying that if a wife is in an abusive situation that you just keep serving while your husband does the unthinkable to you. No. I'm, I'm not talking about that kind of situation. I'm talking about where a husband comes home and instead of running to help out with the kids says where's my meal I'm talking about a wife who says something about the way that her husband has been acting unkind gracious and so then what does the wife do she shuts down What does the husband do he shuts down and then that's it notice Jesus's example for us it is so good and yet so hard Do you serve others, no matter how they respond to you? How about this aspect of of Jesus getting rid of his outer garment? I think that is a, a very good lesson for us and our pride. You see, Jesus was hindered by this outer garment. He couldn't get down on his knees and serve them and wash them as he had to. You and I, were hindered by our pride. We need to serve one another, and oftentimes what's holding us back is our pride. Take off that, that jacket of pride and serve others as Jesus served and just the most wonderful and crazy example ever. Notice, too, that this is humiliating. This isn't what a man should do. And yet this is exactly what Jesus does. And this really is a picture of what Jesus will do shortly. In a much greater humiliation. Where he will go to the cross. And he will suffer, bleed, and die for sinners like you and I. To show us again the extent of his love and his service for us. I wonder if there's a, a point where what Jesus is really saying to Peter is, look, you don't want to serve. You don't want me
1: to serve you because you want it your way. Do we do the same thing? We do. So what
0: do we see next? Look at... 13, 6 to 8, Jesus washes like no other. How does Peter respond? Ah, you're not going to really wash my feet. And then Jesus lets him know, well, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have nothing to do with me. You'll have no part with me. Other translations, I, I think, are better translation. They say, you have no share with me. That, that's what the Greek is. It's understood that it's talking about an inheritance. That Jesus is saying, wait, you don't understand what's going on here, Peter. If I don't wash you. And he's speaking of his blood. And Peter believing in him as the Messiah. That that is the only way that Peter will be forgiven. He's letting him know that there is no other way to the Father. There's no other way to join our family, Peter. Than for you to allow me to wash you. Stop responding in your pride all the time. Peter, let me wash you. And then Peter responds, as Peter does so often, he should have just kept his mouth shut. Okay, yes, no. And instead, he tries to kind of one up Jesus. Well, then don't just wash my feet, wash all of me, because all of me needs cleansing. And then what does Jesus respond? No, I, I don't need to wash all of you. Why? Because you've already believed. Remember, Peter's already made a proclamation of faith. What do you mean? Where would we go? You hold the key, the words of life. You are the Messiah. Has he fully come to realize that he's going to die on the cross and all this? Probably not. But Jesus lets us know that he indeed is saved, that he is indeed cleansed, that his sins are forgiven. And if we knew the culture and we knew what what happens at least during this time it becomes even more clear because when you went to someone's house for dinner you would wash before you went to dinner. So you are clean before you go to the house and then on your way to the house because of all the the dirt. The only thing that's really getting dirty are your feet. The rest of you is clean. That's why Jesus says that you're already clean. He uses that as an example to talk about salvation, to talk about redemption, to let us know what? That once saved, always saved, that you only have to put your faith in Jesus Christ once. Jesus doesn't have to go to the cross again and again and again to purchase redemption on our behalf, does He? No, once and for all. We we see this throughout Scripture. Scripture. We see this in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 7. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 7. We never need to be cleansed again once we have truly repented and believed in Jesus. As far as our positional righteousness, we have been declared righteous in God's sight. With the most amazing trance forever. What? Our sin upon Jesus Christ on the cross, his righteousness given to us in justification. Just amazing. Listen to what it says in Titus. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not by not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. But according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That heirs is what Jesus was talking to Peter about. Man, if you want to become my heir, then you must let me wash you. And Jesus washes like no other. Never do we need to be cleansed again because of what Jesus did on our behalf. Of course, that doesn't mean that we're sinless. And so that's why Jesus says that he needs to wash his feet, needs to wash their feet. It's what we find in 1 John. Many of us know this passage, 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, what? He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So good to see that that all of this is because Jesus washes like no other. For all that would believe in Him, that we are washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ through the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit regenerating us, renewing us making us new so we see that Jesus loves like no other, Jesus serves like no other Jesus washes like no other and then we see fourth Jesus humbles himself like no other we see this in verses 12 to 17 as Jesus finally begins to talk to explain what he's done And he makes it clear to us, what is the lesson he is passing on? The lesson is humility. What is the robber of grace? What is it that stops God's grace from working in our lives? It is pride. What do we need more and more of? Humility.
1: And we see this
0: humility in the Lord Jesus Christ after even he washes their feet as he lets them know hey i am your lord and teacher i'm the lord of all all things have been placed into my hands and yet what did i do i showed you this example so now what do i want you to do i want you to follow likewise and and how do you do this you do this in humility not thinking of yourselves more than you ought Notice, Jesus is the greater of all, and yet he serves the lesser. That is the lesson for us. Notice, too, what he says. If you know these things, verse 17, you are blessed if you do them. If you know what things, what he has just said, if you recognize that just because you're a Lord or a teacher or because you you have this wonderful position of authority, that doesn't mean that you use that as a bat. It means that the way that you honor me is you serve in your humility. This word blessed. If you know these things, you are blessed. Do you know what it means? It means to be happy. It means to be content in life. Do you know what our world says? Our world says, oh, this is what you need to be to be happy. Remember the song? Here's the little note I wrote. Just want to sing it. Note for note. Don't worry, be happy. Yeah. Just stop worrying. That'll make you happy. No, it won't. The only way to find true happiness is in Jesus Christ. He is the one that gives us true happiness. And, and what does he say here? Where does this happiness come from? This happiness comes when we humbly serve. When we humbly serve one another. This is the key to our Christian life. Our honoring God in all that we do. We could go to Philippians 2 and we could look at Jesus. In fact, let's do that. Philippians chapter 2. Look at what it says about Jesus. His whole life is an example of a humble life. Everything about Jesus is humility. Humility. It oozes humility. And if we are to become more and more like Christ, something that you would think we would see in one another is what? Humility. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Look at what Paul says, pointing back to Jesus. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. That's in his incarnation, but his whole life was done in humility. Being found in appearances a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you recognize this morning the joy
1: of serving in humility?
0: How well do you do serving in humility? Do you serve your family humbly? Whether you're even a child, whether you're the mom, whether you're the dad, do you, do you serve humbly in your particular work? Do, do you serve humbly in the church? We, we should all be serving. That's who our Lord is making us to be. And so if you're not serving humbly, then there is a great big part of your sanctification that is missing. And Jesus is making us more and more like Him. And He is our lesson. And He's not finished teaching us what He wants to teach us through everything that's happening here in in John 13 as, as we see fifth and finally. He sends us out like no other. Why? Because he is like no other. Because he knows the beginning from the end. He knows all things. He knew that Judas was about to betray him. Even saying, he who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Quoting Psalm 41 verse 9. Literally in the Hebrew, this lifting up his heel against me means has made his heel great against me. Has walked out on me. That's a possible translation has given me a great fall, has taken great advantage of me. Some would even say it could mean that he literally would kick him as he's going out. Jesus, knowing all of this, knowing the one that was going to betray him, still loved him and served him by washing his feet. What opportunities might the Lord be giving you right here, right now, to love someone like that? By the power of Christ in you. Maybe a family member. Maybe a spouse. Maybe a coworker, To love as Christ loved. And we see this, that he's sent us on a mission. Notice what we see. From now on, I'm telling you before it comes to pass so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Why does he say that? Because they had no clue that Judas was going to be the one. Because they were just arguing about who would be the greater. And because when Judas's name comes up, nobody thinks anything about him. Oh, it's going to become clear. And when it becomes clear, what are they supposed to understand? Then they are supposed to understand Jesus knows all. Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen. Isn't that encouraging? That as Jesus sends us out, that he knows exactly what is going to happen to us. Whether that's in the jungles of Papua New Guinea, serving him, or whether that's here in Temecula, serving him, or whether that's in Menife- or where- San Diego, wherever you're at. Jesus knows it all. And Jesus is orchestrating all things according to, uh, to his will. To the will of the Father. And as and Jesus lived with that purpose in mind, to honor the Father and to do the work of the Father. And the mission of the Father. Now what does Jesus do? He sends his disciples out. With serious intentionality. That was all behind him washing their feet. Why? So that they would wash each other's feet. So that they would wash the feet of those whom they were going to minister to. Building his church. Do you know what happens with a church with no servants? dies. He wants to come to a church where nobody serves.
1: That church doesn't honor
0: Christ. That church doesn't have people that are becoming more and more like Christ. Then he says this
1: crazy statement in verse 20.
0: This is amazing that as we go out and we share Jesus Christ with others and we give them the gospel, who are they actually receiving? Who are they actually believing? Him, not us. All we are are the go-betweens, right? We're the instruments, That the Lord uses to allow others to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That he is sending us out. And that he who receives me receives him who sent me. He's saying as the Father has sent me and I have committed myself to doing all that the Father wants me to do. I am doing the same exact thing with you all. I am sending you out. And what is the reason that he is sending us out, that he sent them out to speak of him? It's understood. There's no greater message that Jesus could send them out than a message about who? Himself. You and I would say that's prideful. No, that's truth. There's no other person in all of creation anywhere that can save as Jesus can save. And so when he sends us out, he sends us out so much different than anybody else would. He sends us out with his knowledge, his sovereign care over us, his power in us. To accomplish that which we couldn't do on our own. As much as your boss and others would want to be able to send out with that kind of authority, that kind of power, that kind of purpose, no one can. And how encouraging is it to know that that is how he sent them out. That is how he is sending us out. In essence, he's he's letting us all know this morning, follow my example. What I do, you do. What my attitude was like, that's the attitude I want you to have. I was sent in this world, to this world, with a mission from my Father, and I was given to doing that mission. Okay, I want you to do the mission that I'm sending you on. Tell others of me. Why? Because I'm going to be gone soon. And this life is short. This life passes quickly. So I'm sending you out with a message, my message,
1: about me. So what do we do with
0: these verses? What is the takeaway? What's challenged me so much in in these passages is the fact that as long as I have been a believer, even preaching, teaching the word, my understanding of how much Jesus loves me continues to grow. Is yours? Is, is your knowledge of Jesus and how much He loves you, is it continuing to grow? Is the fact that Jesus loves you, is it, is it the same? Is, is, is it a constant? Or actually, depending on what you're like, and whether or not, oh, I'm not reading my Bible today, I don't think Jesus loves me as much as He did yesterday. Or yesterday I was doing this, and so obviously Jesus loves me because I was doing that. But today, look at where I'm at. Or, or do you recognize, as we see and hear, that, that Jesus' love is constant, that Jesus' love never changes, but what changes is our ability and our understanding of His love. That is the wonder of God's Word and how living and active it is. Does your knowledge of Jesus' love, does it look like it did last year today? Or is it continuing to grow?
1: And is it something that you are thinking about? And consider this in closing. When will your knowledge of Jesus' love stop
0: growing? Now we see as in a, in a glass dimly, right? Now we see as through the eyes of faith. And one day we will exchange these eyes of faith for two eyes. And at that point, everything that we kind of consider, it will become a reality. But will we be like God and perfectly knowledgeable of God's love? Of the love of Jesus. No. That is something that we will continue to grow and grow in. Can you imagine? Even when we lay aside this this flesh. That hinders us so much. And we have glorified bodies. And we have minds that aren't hindered. And backs that don't hurt. And distract us. And all these other things. And we are before Jesus. For all of eternity. We will continue to grow and grow. In our knowledge and understanding of the love of Jesus. Man, amen, amen. What a wonderful Savior. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we we just stop and we do. We, We soak in the truths of your word. Thank you. Thank you for giving us this depiction of your Son. Thank you for giving us the Gospel of John. May you continue to shape our understanding of the love of your Son and your love, Father, and the work of the Spirit in our lives. For your glory, for your praise, and so that your kingdom work would continue on and that you would use this church, Redeemer Bible Church, as your vessel to bring more and more folks to a saving knowledge of you. We love you. We thank you for this day. And it's in Jesus'
1: name that we pray. Amen.